already gone back there. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you for that time of worship. You are holy, and we do adore you. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to our hearts from the word, that you would let it do that, that work that only the word can do in us, that how it washes us and cleanses us and transforms us and renews our mind. Everything the scripture tells us, this eternal word of God that's forever settled in the heavens will do in us if we will heed it. Lord, so this morning, I pray our hearts are ready to receive and that you would speak through the passage to each of us, that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to apply any part of it in any way to our lives. We do lift up the church in Afghanistan. Lord, we just pray for your mercy and your grace to be upon them, for strength and courage, for wisdom, for a clear discerning of the voice of the Holy Spirit that leads and guides them, for provision, and Lord, where, where you're desiring to um, continue the lives of those believers, divine protection, Lord, that seeing eyes would be made blind so that they wouldn't see them passing by. Lord, uh, be with the pastors, Lord, as they try to protect and care for their flocks and give them that supernatural wisdom, knowing what steps to take. We pray for Haiti as well, as thousands have died in that earthquake. We pray for the, those who are already on the ground there, for the, especially for the church that's on the ground there, trying to help and assist and comfort. We pray for revival. We pray for renewal. We pray for comfort of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now, Lord, as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, today we are in Galatians chapter 4 from verse 8 through 20. If you're a guest with us this morning, we just work our way through the scriptures and you happen to have joined us when we're in the book of Galatians. We're preaching through Galatians and we're a little past halfway through. So Galatians chapter 4, 8 to 20, please stand in honor of God's word as I read this to you. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, 
that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again am again in ang the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So in our passage for today, um, well, a little background first. For those of you who haven't been with us, Paul's addressing this, this false teaching that came into the church of Galatia, and he is um, confronting this false teaching that there had to be a, sorry, it has to recognize my face to turn on. There we go. There had to, they, they, circumcision didn't have to be a part of their salvation. In fact, it had nothing to do with salvation. They were saved by faith through grace. So Paul has been, uh, through this letter, telling them his testimony, telling them what the scriptures say, sharing with them his heart, and here in this passage, he gets down to the root cause of why the Galatians had accepted this false teaching. Ritual is easier than relationship. Rules and methods are so much more agreeable to our old nature because we just got to do a little this and a little that, and then we can do whatever we want. We get the little Bible reading out of the way. We go to church on Sunday morning from... 10 to noon, and hey, we're done. We got the rest of the week to ourselves. That's, that's ritualism. That's the requirements of the law. That's doing it without that connection, that heart connection to Jesus Christ. Relationships require self-sacrifice and results in preferring others above yourselves. And it, as the gene said earlier, it can be kind of messy at times. It's hard, and it costs you, but... It's God's will. It's so much richer. There's so much more joy. Ritual be, can be a task that's quickly accomplished so that you can get on with whatever you want to do. But relationships require constant attention. Paul thought the Galatians had entered into a relationship with him and most of all with Jesus Christ. He points them back to the wonder and the depth of the relationship that they had experienced when he first preached there in Galatia. Verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Jesus told us that when you sin, you are a slave of sin. We can all say that we were slaves of sin before we came to Christ. Um, we were talking about in our Sunday school this morning how we didn't have the power to say no, but now in Christ Jesus, we have that freedom to say no to sin. Paul's addressing uh, the Gentiles in the church of Galatia and reminding them of their commitment to gods, such as the mythological gods of Greece and Rome that weren't really gods at all. Some of our gods were false religions. Like the Gentile Christians in Galatia, we felt uh, spiritual while living as we pleased. And in many cases, there's a, a, a price tag that we pay for some kind of secret wisdom. Some of these religions even claim to be Christian, 
but don't require that you die to yourself, just that you attend and give. They don't want you hearing from God as you read your Bible. They will tell you what the Bible says, and, and don't you dare question their interpretation. They want to be the only voice that you hear instead of you learning to hear the great shepherd's voice and following his leading. They will tell you what you should do for God. Instead of carefully explaining God's word and encouraging you to search out God's word on your own, they will tell you what you should believe. There are also other God, false gods, gods of self, and the teaching that your truth is to be discovered in your heart. That's a popular one today. You are the arbitrator of truth. But they claim they can help you advance in spirituality by, by taking their classes or maybe healing your aura, for a price, of course. Never mind that your truth contradicts everyone else's truth. It's your truth, and you can change it if it becomes inconvenient. And to that I say, how convenient. Imagine playing a game where everybody has his own rules. What chaos that would be. Verse 9. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? We love God because he first loved us. Intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit was experienced by the Galatians, but they were turning back to the old patterns. They went back to, the, to things that, that were comfortable with, like the rituals that fit into their culture, with a little Jesus on the side, just a few rules from Judaism and a little of their paganism traditions, and they could avoid persecution. They forsook their intimacy with Jesus their standings as representatives of the Father and carrying out his world in the world for mere rituals. How could we forsake such a blessing? And yet, we do just that because our flesh finds it easier to have its way with loopholes we find in the law and methods that we can follow rather than listening to the Holy Spirit. Routines and rituals aren't as hard on the flesh nature as living in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When rules take priority over Jesus, the rules become our idols. We don't have to daily crucify the flesh to live with formulas. Jesus spoke of this in Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Slavery to rituals and rules is the opposite of freedom in Christ. Islam, for example, you have the five pillars. You do all those pillars. You sub Islam means submission. You submit to those five pillars, and maybe you will get into heaven. But it's a set of rules that never changes the heart. Jews did the same thing, submitting to the yoke of law, but Christ came so we could live in a relationship where we are freed from sins and enslavements and the law's orders and rest in Christ and let him work through us. How could we walk away from such an honor 
to go back to mere rituals or methods. The born-again person will find an emptiness in methods and rituals because they've already experienced what real life is. They know the difference. Rules may be comfortable to the flesh, but our spirit within will be painfully disturbed as long as we avoid that life in the spirit, that life-giving spirit, that fountain from within that Christ is in us. The longer you surrender to the flesh, the less you will hear the spirit. And that dangerous road leads to a fruitless life. Jesus has engraved us on the palms of his hands. Isaiah 49, 16 tells us, he's continually interceding for us. He's watching all that we do with loving care. Would we grieve the heart of our loving father by turning back to rules and rituals, to that which is worthless? To be known by God, to have been chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, to be kept as the apple of his eye, hidden under the shadow of his wing, to have our name written in the book of life, to know it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. What utter, utter insanity it would be to turn back our backs on so generous and gracious a God. Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. The Jewish calendar had all these different feast days, full moons, new moons, uh, Sabbath days, feast days that uh, took place during the time of Jesus and could take the place of walking with Jesus. The Galatians may have included some of their former seasonal cultic practices. We we see some of that being revived in our time with full moon and equinox gatherings that worship creation. A lot of that goes on right here in Sedona. Ritual was replacing relationship for those in the Galatian church. There's even one Christian minister here in Sedona or works out of Sedona as his base that teaches that the Jewish holidays, during the Jewish holidays, some special portal is opened up to heaven and he'll, Jesus will hear you more if you pray during that time. Brothers and sisters, every day with Jesus is a day you can enter into the Holy of Holies. He's our great high priest. He's made a way for us. We, we don't have to wait for a day. Every day is a holy day with Jesus, amen? And as that song says, every day with Jesus gets sweeter than the day before. So don't fall for secret wisdom or some special revelation that somebody's gotten that's extra biblical. Our God-given revelation is the word of God and it is very clear on most issues. Verse 11, I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Were they truly born again or had they just changed their lifestyles? Paul knew that if they replaced the spirit with the letter of the law or former pagan traditions that they didn't have spiritual life. That would mean his work there was without fruit that remains. If, you know, if we talk someone into believing in Christ, someone can talk them into not believing. 
It has to be more than that. It has to be that personal, that personal interaction with Jesus and them, with the Holy Spirit transforming them, with them entering into that personal relationship. We need to introduce people to the living Jesus that grows at a relationship that grows deeper as time passes. Feeding them, as Peter wrote, the sincere milk of the word. Paul was afraid that all his labor for them was not. This isn't the cry of someone who regrets wasting his time. It's the cry of a broken heart that sees those who are dear to him turning down a road to ruin and fruitlessness. It's the cry of a father seeing his child make a choice in the direction of life that he knows will be disastrous. I've shed those tears many times. Sometimes they return to the right path and gives you great joy when you see them return. But others go on to face the consequences of worldliness. I think of the blessings they could have experienced and the suffering that could have been avoided. And I can see their faces in my mind. I want to remember all of you with joy and not with grief as the writer of Hebrews said in 1317. Think for a moment of those who have invested their lives in us. You're here this morning probably because people prayed for you and people shared with you. And whether it was your parents or friends or schoolmates or whoever, someone invested in you and someone prayed for you. How many prayers have been brought to the throne of heaven for you? How many sermons and classes have been carefully prepared and preached to you? How many well-chosen words have been shared with you because of the love of Christ through someone's lips? Each of us has quite an investment placed in us. No one can fully know how much, for so much was done by prayer without our knowledge of it. But then think of the grief it would cause them, those who invested in you, if you turn back. But also in the grief in the heart of our Heavenly Father and the Son who gave his life for you. On the other hand, think of the joy you give to God and to those who played a role in your spiritual life when you stand before the throne of heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. This is such a, there's such a heartfelt, personal appeal from this Paul's heart of love. He, Paul had forsaken his Jewish uh, rituals and, and traditions, his customs, to be, to be able to relate to this Gentile church. But now they're adopting the Jewish rituals he set aside so he could connect with them. When Paul set aside his traditions, it wasn't because the Galatians had a, a bad influence on him. It was because he didn't want them to live by those Jewish rituals and rules. He wasn't after a cultural change. He was after a heart change. He wanted them to live in Christ and for Christ to live in them which is infinitely greater than any methods or rules or formulas. One answer to their compromise was to follow the uncompromising Paul as he followed Jesus. You know, when I, I first read that 
verse in 1 Corinthians 11. It's 11.1, where the Apostle Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I read that when I was a teenager, I read that, and I thought, man, that's pretty arrogant. For anyone to say, follow me, because look at me, be like me, imitate me, but that's because I didn't know Paul well enough to understand what he meant. Paul was so passionate about the gospel, so passionate about the souls of men that he tried to please everyone and everything without compromising so that they might be saved. Because his whole effort was to communicate the truth of the gospel, he could say to the false of the false teachers, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. For, with for greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me and anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall? and I am not indignant. Man, he had the heart of the great shepherd. Seeking the lost at any cost, feeding the sheep, caring for the lambs. If you live like Paul did, you can say it too. But so few have even come close. But that is the challenge he sets before us. Be as he is. Be all things to all people to win them to Jesus. Put Jesus first in everything. And then that's the thought theology of the New Testament. It's all about Jesus, just Jesus. Then all the little side issues that come along, like keeping the law or compromising with the world, loses its appeal. It's the crucified life. It's being willing to suffer like Paul was for the truth of the cross. If we will let the Holy Spirit bring us back to the centrality of that, all our divisions break down and unity thrives. Verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. <clears throat> when we read about Paul's missionary journeys in Acts, before he gets into Galatia, he, he comes uh, to Pamphylia, a, a coastal town, and um, there he probably picked up something like malaria or one of the common eye diseases at the time. So he, the, the book of Acts says he didn't preach in Pamphylia. Almost every city he goes to, he finds a synagogue, preaches there, but for some reason, and we think it may be because of this illness that he contracted there, that he didn't preach. One particular affliction prevalent in the area at that time in the first century caused your eyes to bulge out and it affected your vision. Apparently, Paul was recovering in Galatia when he planted the church there because the descriptions um, that are used are like, uh, I, my appearance was ugly or detestable to you. 
when Paul first proclaimed the gospel to them, they were so appreciative and understanding of the sacrifice Jesus had made for them and the sacrifice Paul was making to share it that they would have even given him their own eyes if they could. Verse 14, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So they overlooked his physical condition, even though it was contagious. And in that culture of that day, it was considered a curse from the gods. They listened to him as if he were an angel sent down from God. Angel means a messenger, as if he was a messenger of God. Or Jesus, bodily present with them. Paul referred to these marks of suffering as the marks of Jesus. When we suffer as we proclaim the gospel, we share in Jesus' suffering. And I'm sure when they saw the scars on his back, they were reminded of Jesus' suffering. Not only did they ignore the physical and what was believed to be a spiritual threat, but they were willing to hear the message that was bound to lead to social challenges, even to persecution. By abandoning the local gods of the community and family, they would become targets of blame for any calamities, both by the Greek and Jewish communities. You know, right now, the world is currently in a panic over the coronavirus variants. Imagine, to get a feel for how they received him, imagine that uh, we have a guest speaker this morning, and he's... <coughs> I just want to share with you. <coughs> I just want to share it, and I want to greet you at the door and give you a hug. That's a, just a little taste of what it would have been like for them. No wonder Paul is so amazed that they are backsliding. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That blessed condition was being hungry for the truth, ready to make any sacrifice to hear more. Do you have that blessed condition? Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. What happened to their blessed condition? There was some faction within the church that those false teachers and the, the, way, the words that described their, uh, of how they related to them was kind of like uh, a flattery. It's the language of romance, as if they were flirting with the Galatians, you know, praising them for how wonderful they are and how receptive they are. They wanted to use the Galatians' newfound faith by twisting it in a way that would benefit them. Paul sacrificed to start this church. Did the interlopers ask him if they could teach the flock? Of course not, because they knew he would object. And it happens today. People see God moving and they try to redirect the movement for their own glory. The Judaizers were not sacrificially teaching the truth, but instead they were selfishly twisting the truth for their gain. Paul sums up the goal of the agitators at the end of the letter to the Galatians. He writes, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised 
and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They wanted recognition and they wanted to avoid persecution. I believe this verse verifies the affliction was Paul's eyes, the fact that they wanted to give their eyes to him. There are those in one faction of the church that believe that uh, if we have faith, God will heal any and all illnesses whenever we ask. So they claim that this, this affliction of Paul's couldn't have been his eyes because surely the Apostle Paul couldn't have been ill because all he'd have to do is ask God and he'd be healed. So they say the affliction was persecution. Well, then why did they want to gouge out their eyes and give it to Paul? Then he wouldn't, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. We can easily interpret passages to fit the doctrines we have created, but the word rightly divided will correct us. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul was concerned that now that they would shun him and follow the agitators because of this letter of rebuke and correction. And sadly, people often reject God's messengers because they lovingly address a fault a fault or a false doctrine or a compromising lifestyle. Some recipients would rather not change, so they reject the messenger as an enemy. I've been on both sides of that. Many of you probably have too. Someone corrects you and, mm, man, I, don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> but then sometimes immediately it strikes your heart as being true. And you know, so you go to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness. When someone lovingly brings some correction to you, don't be defensive. Thank them for being willing to risk their relationship out of love. Let them know that you will take it to the Lord and his word and seek the truth in the matter and do it. Don't just assume that they're wrong. Take it to the Lord, pray about it. On minor differences of doctrine that are not essential, just listen and try to learn why they see things as they do. We can agree to disagree respectfully. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that, they may, may, that you may, 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 may make much of them. The Judaizers are, are boasting of their converts among the Gentiles, um, but only for their pride's sake. Like the Pharisees, they were doing it to be seen by men. Verse 18, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. So Paul, I think here, is referring to his labor for them and their importance to him, whether he's present or away from them. He makes much of their value to God and to his kingdom. Verse 19 and 20, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Paul had such a passion for the congregants there, the converts there to grow in Christ's likeness. This comes from a genuine love for the flock and a desire to see the kingdom advance. 
A mature Christian will exhibit the life of Christ, which is the fruits of the Spirit, and that draws others into the family of God. Oswald Chambers refers to it as making our hearts a Bethlehem. He writes, God's trust is that he gives me himself as a babe. God expects my personal life to be a Bethlehem. Am I allowing my natural life to be slowly transfigured by the indwelling life of the Son of God? God's ultimate purpose is that his Son might be manifest in my mortal flesh. What a contrast with the agitators. Paul was willing to suffer for the Galatians and labor for them in prayer. The agitators just wanted to use them to exalt themselves. This is a revealing contrast that we, that we can see today. The goal of a faithful minister is to see the life of Jesus increase in each one of you, to see the Son manifest in your mortal flesh. Paul felt like he was starting all over again with them for this was something he faced as a new Christian, trying to understand, what do I do with the law now that I know that Jesus has done everything for me? He wanted to be there and see that they accepted the truth of the message and end the concern that he presently had. He can't understand how they could go from experiencing a personal relationship with, with Christ from faith and grace to the works of the law back under the slavery of the law because he was sure they had been born again. But we do this all the time when we substitute ritual or methods for relationship. That's because we let our old nature get back on the throne of our hearts. We find a comfortable place and, and we don't want to change. But if you're truly born again, the most uncomfortable place is a comfortable place. We should always be experiencing growing pains as we crucify the old nature and let the life of Christ be manifested in us.